Well, hey, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1 this morning, we're going to see three things here. Uh, first of all, that the message um, of the cross, that the second thing is the fruit of that message, that the third thing is uh, the, the messenger, um, the messenger. And what's interesting about these three things, the, the message of the cross it, it is a foolish message in the eyes of the world, that the fruit of that message are, are fools in the eyes of the world, but they're fools for Christ. I'd rather be a fool for Christ um, than anything else. The messenger is seen as foolish, seen as foolish. But you know what? At the end of the day, uh, it's about one thing. And, and really, in chapter 1, verse 31, it, it says, let it be, right? Let, let, let those who boast, boast in the name of the Lord. That's what we were created for. And if our life is aligned with that goal, um, then, then we're... We're doing what the Lord wants us to. And so, so be it if we be seen as fools in the eyes of the world. Who cares? Who cares? And so today, um, as I preach, I, I pray, man, I pray just as Paul's aim was in preaching. And this is his aim today, really in this whole text, is this, that we would value the gospel as, as greater than the wisdom of the world. And we'll talk about what that wisdom is. That our faith would not rest on man's wisdom, but on the power of God, as he says in chapter 2, verse 5. And that we would see how the gospel message, the message of the cross, is superior over anything humans can devise through reasoning or philosophy. And so today, may our life rest and continue to trust in the power of God, the wisdom of God of God. And so what that means, we've got to continually cling to the cross and to the message of the cross. It means everything. It means everything. And I pray it does to you today. And so let's dive into it this morning, can we? And first see this this message, the message of the cross that Paul is talking about in verse 18. And so we're going to go through verse by verse. The best thing for you, if if you've got a Bible this morning, is just to go verse by verse, follow along with us. If you don't have a Bible, there's a there's a Bible in the uh, the uh, kind of the, the yeah the seat. I was going to say the pew in front of you, but it's not the the seat um, carrier. Whatever. <laughs> got a little. What do you call that? Like. Chair rack, okay. I've had a long morning, so I apologize. <laughs> I also had an interesting night last night. Can I take a second to share this? This is crazy. So I, <laughs> so I got to, to uh, do a wedding for my dad last night, which was pretty cool. And so it's pretty, it, w- my family, we show up at, at the house, and so here's the deal. He had a backyard wedding but nobody, everybody who came had no clue that they were coming to a wedding. And so, except me, praise the Lord, that I knew. So I show up, and, and so the door's locked. And I'm like, hey, just walk in, just walk in. They're like, oh, the door's locked. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll open the, the door. And I couldn't, so I had to ring the doorbell and knock. And all of a sudden, guess who opened the door? Elvis. Elvis opened the door, and I'm like... 
I didn't know about that surprise. And so, and that's just kind of how the whole evening went. And it was the coolest, it actually was the coolest evening. This guy was a, just an awesome believer in the Lord. Trust, I mean, just, but he was, he was a killer at Elvis. He was awesome. But anyway, all of a sudden, in the middle of his gig, he, says, he looks at my dad and his girlfriend and kind of weird, my dad and his girlfriend. Okay, so, and he says, hey, he says, um, I think these guys ought to get married. And he says, is there a minister in the house? And so I stood up and just rolled on from there. Boom. And so there you go. And so how weird it is to, to look at my dad and say, all right, dad, you may kiss your bride. I got to do that. Night, and then I got to fill out his wedding certificate after that, so it was pretty cool. So anyway, that was my night, and so I'm still kind of unraveling all that, but anyway, it was cool. It was fun. It was fun, so awesome, and so yeah, anyway, I love it. So all right, verse 18, so that's what I'm kind of working through this morning. All right, here we go. Verse 18, the message, the word of the cross, and so listen to what Paul says. He says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so here we have what's Paul's, really his thesis statement. Um, and you can almost say the whole letter, but, but especially of, of this section. And so he's going to repeat the idea that he's speaking of here in verse 21, also in 23 and 24. And so what he's doing in this text is he's contrasting human wisdom with the word of the cross. And so this, this thing that the world sees as, as foolish, the word of the cross, what is the word of the cross? When you hear that, maybe you automatically think of the gospel, which is right, right? Maybe you think of the gospel. But, but the word of the cross is, is this. It's the message that Jesus died for sinners and, and that he died a, a criminal's death um, a, 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 he died a death penalty death because back there in, in, in that day, a cross where, was where murderers and, and, and people who went against the Roman government, that, that's where they would put up. They were put up on a cross. And so he died on a cross. And, and so, but his death was significant because he is God. And, and his death was a substitutionary death, meaning he was dying in place of us. He was perfect. He's called the spotless lamb of God. He was put on the cross with nails in his hands and his feet, and he died there, not like other criminals, but he died in place of us. And on the cross, he bore the sin of the world upon himself because he is the only one who could satisfy the wrath of God completely. Because the Bible says because we are sinners, we all deserve death. The wages of sin is death. And not just physical death, but eternal damnation. Separation from God forever in a place called hell. And so the Bible says that the only way that the wrath of God could be satisfied was by a spotless, unblemished sacrifice. And that's what Jesus was. And he died on the cross, so that our sins could be forgiven, that the wrath of God could be satisfied in him. And so he who knew no sin becomes sin on our behalf so that we could become what? The righteousness of God in him, that we can know God and have instead of eternal separation, we can now have eternal life 
that begins now for those who believe. That's the word of the cross in a simple form. That's what the message of the cross is. And so he compares it with the wisdom of the world, which we'll see in just a little bit. And so the wisdom of the world does not have the idea of the cross in it. It's not its central theme. Instead, it's focused on human self-sufficiency. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to compare these two things. And the opposite affects to those hearing it, according in verse 18, those who hear the word of the cross, um, it, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, meaning those who are leaning on self-sufficiency, that those who are perishing, they're, they're dying literally daily because they are separated from God. They don't know the Lord. But, he says here in verse 18, to those who are being saved, those who have clung to the message of the old rugged cross, to them, it's the power of God. And so as we hear it today, what is the message of the cross to you? Is it the power of God? Because that's what Paul says to those who are being saved. It is the power of God. And then he continues. Look what he says next in verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Paul does this. He says, listen, God said hundreds of years ago through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 29, 14, he said these words that he pinned down there in verse 19, and he said that he would destroy the wisdom of the world. Basically, what he was saying is, I will show you how foolish the wisdom of man and self-sufficiency and living a life that says follow your heart and do as you please and, and, and live your best life now, all those kind of things that get spewed out of people's mouth throughout the world and you call that wise, God says, I will destroy that. I will show that to be foolish by means of the cross. And then in verse 20, he carries on and Paul says, Where's the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And so there's that phrase. And so what he's going to do here is going to ask these questions concerning the wisdom of the world. And so when you think about Corinth back then, what they would do is they would have these philosophers and these Greek philosophers who would, who would go on the street and they would be orators. And they would have this, this clever speech uh, they would speak about different worldviews and different ideas they had about life, about the future, uh, about even God, about the afterlife. Uh, and, and, and everything they would, they would talk about, they would try to make sense of it in a way that it would impact your life. It would impact um, priorities, uh, values, your choices. And so they would spew these things out. And so it was like the likes of a Aristotle or a Socrates and all these these. Uh, Greek philosophers of old. And so that was kind of where Corinth landed. That's what they looked to for their worldview and the idea of how they should live their life and their thoughts about different things in life. And so this idea of the wisdom of the world is the use of the human mind to achieve and maintain a ground for for boasting literally before God and man. I mean, that's what the wisdom of the world does. It it is about you. It's centered around you, it says this, look at what I know, and it, isn't it impressive? And then it says, look what I did, isn't that impressive? Not only that, look at how I look. That's the wisdom of the world. Not only that, look what I 
have. And that's what the wisdom of the world communicates. And so the wisdom of men is prideful. That's what is at the root, the core of the wisdom of this world. That even says things like, follow your heart. Go and, and make the, live the best version of you or make the best version of you. Things like that will be spewed out from the wisdom of this world. And the cross sees that as foolish. It, it calls it out. It calls out the sin within it and the idea of selfishness and self-sufficiency. And so the wisdom of the world is destructive to faith. And so that's Paul's reason for writing this. Because the faith of the church at Corinth has, has waned quite a bit. In immorality, uh, they've let the wealth of the world overtake and and they start looking through the lens of what they have. And so the wisdom of the world has, has really crept in to the church. And so he's calling them back. He's calling them to turn away from the wisdom of the world and to cling back to the cross as the basis of their faith and to see that as the power of God and not the self-sufficiency of man. And so he says, hey, guys, where's these wise men? Where, where are these wise men that describe the, the debater of this age, these people who say these things, where are they? Compare them to the message of the cross, and what they're spewing out is foolish. It's foolish. And so he says here, as a question, but as he says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And he has. He has. He's made it foolish by planning a way of salvation that would be offensive to the wisdom of the world through Jesus dying on the cross. And so he has made it foolish. And then look at verse 21. As he continues here, he says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And so what is Paul saying here? Simply this, the wisdom of the world does not enable people to know God and to have a relationship with God. No, no, no matter what kind of wisdom people come up with, that there's no path to that wisdom to know God. One, one of the things that, that first comes to my mind is the idea of Mormonism, right? Mormonism it is, is a sick and evil trickery of, of the enemy to, to, to trick people into thinking. I mean, today, I, I even hear it in, in circles today where people will say Mormonism is like a, a, a denomination of Christianity. That is so false. Mormonism is, is sickening. And what I mean by that, it, it, the goal of, of Mormonism is, is you try to be this best person that you can be, this, this, and based on good works, you can earn heaven. But that's one example of how a guy named Joseph Smith all of a sudden one day is enlightened and begins spewing out human wisdom and foolishness from the pit of hell. That's just one idea. And there's other world religions that, that do the same thing, and, and they're all against the cross, and they all hold up self-sufficiency and how man can get to God. But what Paul says here, there's no hope. The wisdom of the world will not get you to God. Only, only this message, 
this message that the world calls foolish, only that message can save. Only that message can bring people to the Father. And that's through Jesus Christ, and that's through his cross. And so the wisdom of the world is seen as foolish when you look at it through the lens of the cross. And then look at verse 22. Look at the different responses throughout Paul's time and also our time as well. He says here in verse 22 that, For indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we, Paul says, preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. A loaded three verses there. But think about the Jews. What do they ask for? They ask for signs. They want to say, God, show us your power, right? Show us more um, uh, Red Sea moments. Show us more. And even that wasn't enough, right? Show us more. Show us more power. And so for them to, to believe in a Christ that put himself on a cross and died and couldn't save himself, for them that had a view of a Messiah that would overcome a government that they could not comprehend, a Christ who was willing to lay down his life, they could not. And so for the Greeks, the Greeks, Paul says in verse 22, they search for what? They search for wisdom. And so the idea of the gospel, the idea of Jesus dying on the cross, it is not something that they could reason. It wasn't reasonable for them. It didn't fit in their wheelhouse. They didn't see that as wise. But yet, when you think about what the Jews believed, and you think about what the Greeks so wanted, what we see here is really the base of idolatry in our world. It's the idea that God must function as this all-powerful, all-wise God, but always on terms that are best for my interest. I want God on my terms, on my terms. Power on my behalf, wisdom like I think. I want God to think the way I think. You see, that's at the base of what the Jews and the Greeks and the Gentiles all wanted. And that's why Jesus was a stumbling block to the Jews. That's why to the Gentiles, he was seen as foolish. Because the Jews, they regarded Messiah as the highest blessed one. So how can one be crucified on a tree and be cursed by God, be a blessed one? For the Greeks, they believed the idea of a Savior dying on a cross was foolish. And, and especially, not only to believe in it, but to follow it was foolish. But to the called, but to the called in verse 24, it's Christ. He's the power of God. He's the wisdom of God. And who are the called? Remember back in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, the called are the sanctified in Christ Jesus. Saints by calling. Those who have called on the name of Jesus Christ to save them. To the called, Jesus is the power of God, conquering, overcoming what we could not, the power of the enemy he overcame. He overcame darkness, sin, and death, which human wisdom cannot. And Jesus is the wisdom of God, solving the problem of human wisdom, reasoning that it could not on its own unravel 
how people could have a relationship with God and come to know him. The power of God answers that in the cross, not the wisdom of man. It can't. And so the power of God does the very thing that what the Jews and the Greeks were looking for could not. But the cross does that. And so he closes this idea, this contrasting between the message of the cross and human wisdom in verse 25, saying, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so the message of the cross, the means by which God saves us, by means of wickedness and folly, Jesus dying and being made a spectacle, by that means, what Paul says here is that the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's stronger than men. The folly of God is smarter than men. And so Paul says, all right, we'll call the message of the cross foolish. But what true foolishness is, is if you follow after the wisdom of the world. And so the foolishness of the cross is salvation of those who believe. It is the power of God. That's the message we cling to. And look at its fruit. Look at verse 26. Listen to what he says here. This fruit of the message of the cross. He says, for consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. And so Paul's talking about the church in Corinth, and he says, consider it, guys. Consider where you came from. You weren't the richest of society. You, you didn't have everything. You weren't the wisest. But, verse 27, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world, verse 28, and the despised God has chosen. So what he's saying here is, you were people that the world had ridden off. But hold on a second. God hasn't ridden you off. God in his mercy has seen you and found you, and we're going to find out in a second, chosen you by his grace. The world may not pick you, and the world may not choose you, but so be it. God, in his mercy, has come to you. And the things that are not, he says at the end of verse 28, so that he may nullify the things that are. And here's the reason. Look at verse 29. So that no man may boast before God. So what is he saying here? It's almost like, <clears throat> here's the message of the cross Here's the message of the world of the wisdom, and here's the fruit of it. All right? Men over here spew out this wisdom and boast in themselves. Men and women over here, what do they do? They realize I am nothing. And I surrender to the cross. I surrender to the mercy of God. And my life is no longer about me, but it's about God. And at the end of the day, what God says is that no man will boast before 
God. That's, that's the conclusion. Because what these guys over here are doing, those who live for the wisdom of God, it's, they're making much of themselves. And what he's saying here is that those who boast, that they're glorifying, they're living for inappropriate objects. And inappropriate objects that we're boasting in is anything else other than God. And that's what the wisdom of the world does. But God wants something different for us. Our life is not so that we would make much of ourselves. The goal from which God created us for is that we would make much of him. That's why he created us. We were created for the glory and for the honor of God. And the message of the cross is the means by what God makes that possible, possible for us to join in doing that. And so the fruit of the message are those who cling to the message of the cross, find the mercy of God. And then look at verse 30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. The world may say you're out, you're not part of their group, we have nothing to do with you because of status, you name it, because of the way you look, because of what you think. I mean, it's the cool factor. You're not it, right? That's the world, but... Look at verse 30. But by his doing, you're in Christ Jesus. Nothing better. God chooses you, who became to us, Jesus did, wisdom from God. He became righteousness. So what does that mean? He made us right with God. He became sanctification. He made us holy when we were not. He set us apart for the purposes of God when we were living for our own ways and our own purposes. And then it says, and redemption. That's who Jesus is to us. He's the wisdom of God. He's righteousness. He's sanctification. He's redemption. Meaning, we were once enslaved to sin and to self. But he's freed us. He's freed us from self-sufficiency. He's freed us from pride. And now we're no longer slaves gripped by fear and guilt. But now, we're free. We're free to love God and love others and to live the life that God has destined us to live. And what's the end of that life? Verse 31. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. We are free now to live for the glory of God. We're free from the wisdom of man. And now we've been set free by the power of God through the cross. And that's the fruit of the message. But look at the messenger. Look at this. This is huge. And, and I think this impacts us all. This isn't just for a, a, a pastor or a preacher or a teacher of the word, even though it's a, it's a great word and a great model. It's really for all of us. Because the Bible declares as the church that we are all ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We all are representatives of him. We're all ministers. Paul is going to use this term in 1 Corinthians. We're all slaves for Christ. We're all fools for Christ. And so what are fools for Christ to declare? What's their message? And here's what it is. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony 
of God. So Paul's saying, I didn't come to Corinth like the other orators or the other philosophers, but I came declaring and proclaiming the testimony of God. And so he didn't come to Corinth as a popularity show to, to kind of follow in line with the others. But he came for one reason. Look what he came for in verse 2. I determined, I love that phrase, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What Paul is saying here is I leave all other knowledge aside so that I may focus my life on one thing, of Jesus and him crucified. You see, he wanted God's saving act in Jesus to become the glasses, to refocus their vision as a church, their vision of God, their vision of community, their vision of the future, because they had gotten off path. And Paul knew the only way they could get back to that place, to being refocused in life, about the things that really matter and about the truth and living that out, the only way that could happen is if they went back to the cross and continually to learn and understand and see Jesus as the crucified Christ. So Paul says, I determined. I was determined to know him alone. He wasn't mingling with other worldly wisdom, but only the message of the cross. And so look at verse 3. I love what Paul says here. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. So what he's saying here is it wasn't based on his, you know, physical stature. It wasn't based on all the things that he knew, all the facts and everything like that and this, this worldly wisdom. But, but he had physical inadequacies. In fact, many believe when he's talking about uh, the thorn in the flesh that that's maybe what he's referring to here and some physical struggles that he came here. But I think also this idea that he came in fear and much trembling See, Paul had a fear in life, and it wasn't over death. We're going to read that at, toward the end of this letter. He didn't fear man. By the way, if we can get to the place in life where we can overcome that, man, isn't that amazing? To fear what, so many today fear what people think of them, Right? Man, if you can overcome that, Jesus is down on the cross so you can overcome that, that that wouldn't be your goal, that that wouldn't be what you're striving for is to, to, to live based on what others think of you, their, their, their picture of you. But what does God think of you? See, see, Paul didn't live with those fears, but his fear was the fear of God. It's the fear of God. Proverbs 1.7 says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. If you want wisdom, fear God. Seek to know him. Seek to love him. Seek to know his word and fear him. Don't fear man. Don't fear man. I mean, the driving thing behind you, human wisdom is spewing out things and thoughts because of you want a following. You want people to like you. You want thumbs up and hearts on social media and stuff like that. Forget that stuff. Fear God. Fear God. And that's what Paul did. That's how he came. And listen to what he says. And my preaching 
or my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul came humbly. He came humbly preaching the message of the cross, not with this eloquence, not with these, these fancy words, but in what? The demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So it's what Paul did is simply he preached Jesus. He preached him crucified. And Paul knew that the Holy Spirit would do the rest. Paul knew that lives being transformed and changed was not based on his persuasiveness, but was based on the work of the Holy Spirit who works to bring people unto himself. And the Bible says this, as we lift up Jesus, what does God do? He draws men to himself. And that's what we are to do. That's why we preach the gospel here. That's why we preach scripture. We don't spew out human wisdom, okay? You can take a track down 121 and get near Grapevine Mills and go find that, all right? And we can sprinkle text in there to make it all you know, seem biblical and stuff. But, but people do that all over the place with crosses out in front today. And... Human wisdom is 95% of the message. But Paul came humbly declaring the message of the cross. And he knew by that is how the Spirit of God worked and was all-powerful. Why? And here's the reason as we close today. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of of God. Here's, here's what Paul Paul didn't want people to sit in a, in a place like this and be like, oh yeah, dude, he, he nailed it, dude. That was a home run. Paul could care less about that. Paul didn't want people to, to walk away and say, oh man, what a great Sunday. Oh yeah, man, I can't wait for next weekend, right? Paul, Paul did not want that. Paul wanted people to walk out the doors and be like, all right, all right, I got to take that message. I got to take the word of God, and now I got to go apply it. I, I got to now go and obey God's word and follow him this week and rely and rest in the power of God. That was Paul's goal. That's what he wanted to happen. He didn't write this letter to go, oh my goodness, Paul's such a great writer, man. No. He wanted their lives to be changed and that they would live not for their glory, but that they would boast in Jesus. He says in Galatians 2.20 that they would say like he did, I have been crucified in Christ. I no longer live, but the life I live now, this week, this very day when I live out, walk out of here, I live for Jesus. He's going to live in and through me. He died for me and he loved me. I'm going to go live for him and cling to the message of the cross. That was Paul's hope. And so how do we respond to the death of Jesus today as we hear this message and as we're sitting there? Because Paul said to those who are perishing, it's foolish, but those who are being saved, it's the power of God. And so we can respond really two ways. We can see the message of the cross as foolish, guys. And we can continue to be self-sufficient and proud, or we can see it as wise, and we can die 
with Jesus daily. The wisdom of the world will always do one thing. It will reject Jesus because it is devoted to 100% of boasting in oneself. When you think about this word today, remember he's writing to believers. And they were struggling with going back to that kind of mentality. And so how do we respond the second way? We trust. We trust. Remember that was his goal in verse 5 of chapter 2. Your faith. Paul's goal was to, to see people one. To see faith one for people. That people would come to faith. And their faith would be encouraged. Their faith would grow. And so the other thing is we trust. Meaning we die to the world. We die to Self. We die to every ground or reasoning for boasting. And that's when we choose to have faith and when we choose to trust, that's what we're doing. Paul said in Galatians 6.14, but may it never be that I would boast except in one thing, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And so church, let's continue to clean to the message of the cross. It's our only hope for salvation. It's our only hope for continuing to persevere and to live a life that makes much of him. And may we, like Paul, humbly hold out that message to others, that simple message of the rugged cross. Let's pray.